Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. As always, I'll start with a little plug for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Willosophy, W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. That is where you can contribute to uh, keep the show going. So um, we've we've made a pledge to put out a new episode every week this year. Um, but if we are going to do that again next year, if that's something that you enjoy, uh, then we need some Patreon support. Um, the best way that you can support this podcast to come out regularly is just to contribute to the Patreon. You can join for as little as a dollar a month and every dollar helps because um, it just knows we have a base there where I can pay uh, Podcast Mike who helps me put these podcasts together. Mike Hale, our US producer who stitches all the audio together and of course the wonderful James Fosdyke who does uh, all the original art for every episode of the podcast. So as long as I know those costs are covered, and then um, hopefully if we get a little bit more money in, we might be able to find some money to travel and do some extra interviews, places that I'm not actually just in, which is how we do it at the moment. Uh, mostly, most of the interviews happen places that I already happen to be in and have a day off. But uh, next year, it would be wonderful to be able to you know, travel to somewhere for a week and record a bunch of interviews. And uh, to do that, we need your support. Patreon.com slash Willosophy is the place to do that. Uh, we will also, next year, it won't happen this year. If you could just join up this year, that'd be great. But next year, we'll have some bonus content that goes up on the uh, Patreon page for those who support the podcast. For everybody else, of course, I just like it to be able to come out for free. If you can't afford to support it or you don't want to support it or you want to support other things and not this thing, um, good on you. That's absolutely fine. And I'm glad that you can listen to this for free. But for those who... Uh, can help us, uh, you know, uh, keep the lights on, then uh, that is massively appreciated. The other way that you can help me keep the lights on is come and see me do stand-up comedy. Now, as people listen to this podcast regularly will know, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of my biggest break ever from stand-up comedy. I've, I've done pretty much 25 years of it straight, and uh, I've been having a break to have a real think about what I wanted to do next year. I have now decided uh, what that is going to be, and it's going to be a huge, exciting year for me doing stand-up. So, um, well, all I can say is that I, at, at different stages next year, there'll be three uh, very different shows that I'm doing uh, in different places. So there's going to be lots of opportunity to come out and see me do very different things doing my stand-up next year. So I will announce all the details of that uh, when I have all the details of that. But very exciting. Uh, couldn't be happier. It's really... Um, put a bounce in my step, uh, the plans that I've made around the touring that I'm going to be doing. And uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited. And um, thank you to everybody. And yeah, buy a ticket uh, when it goes on sale. So, um, oh, what else? Uh, I have a TV show called Gruen. If you're in Australia, you can watch that on ABC iView or, of course, on ABC TV on a Wednesday night. The XL version is on a Friday night. Um, we have five more episodes of that to go at this stage or, you know, the sixth one will be going to air uh, the day this comes out. Uh, so you can watch that, watch the back episodes. If you are overseas, you can't watch it legally, but you have, if you have a VPN or something, you could always set it to Australia and watch it for free on ABC iView. I'm not saying, I don't know how to do that. Um, that's probably illegal, but I believe it's possible. So there you go. Uh, to next week's guest. Let's talk about next week's guest. Next week's guest is Josh Thomas, uh, the brilliant Josh Thomas. Uh, loved having Josh on the podcast. I want to give some of his shows a plug because uh, um, he is uh, starting them before you will hear his episode. So he starts on the 30th of October in Brisbane. He goes to Sydney on the 3rd, and, uh, 3rd of November. On the 8th, he'll be in Canberra uh, and then uh, Melbourne, Cairns, Sydney, Perth. I will plug all those ones next week when his episode goes up. But uh, go and see Josh Thomas. Uh, it'll be a brilliant night out if you think you uh, would enjoy a night seeing Josh. Uh, I can guarantee that you will. He's uh, brilliant live on stage. 
first shows in six years. Uh, he's been dominating around the world with his TV shows and uh, it was great to have a chat with him. Speaking of dominating the world, Kathy Lett. Wow. Um, I've always been an admirer of Kathy Lett's. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, um, obviously everything from Puberty Blues onwards. But I, I don't know Kathy at all. The first time that we ever met. I think actually technically we had met one, one time before. But the first time we ever met to have a chat was this podcast. I just loved her. What a brilliant energy she has. Uh, what a, a lovely, wonderful woman uh, she is. Uh, we exchanged, you know, phone numbers and emails and stuff afterwards and we're going to have a proper catch-up at some stage. She speaks so uh, wonderfully. She speaks like a brilliant writer, you know. She, every moment is a line. And, and there was moments within this where, you know, I, you know I'd love to have another ca- a chat with Kathy because I... You know, there's a bit of it that's probably some of the stuff she tells everybody, I imagine. Um, you know, part of the shtick. But uh, but she's such a fascinating person. And when we, when, when we got into fascinating things and, and, and she started to speak, you know, from her heart and from her passion, I just, I just connected with so much that she had to say and she said it in such a delightful way. And, you know, just a really fantastic, um, life-affirming, vibrant, uh, radiant uh, person and personality loved it absolutely loved spending the time with us so i hope you enjoy this podcast too uh, a bit different to normal um but uh, uh delightful nevertheless uh, thank you very much for listening if this is your first one there's uh hundreds more of these well not hundreds but over a hundred more of these episodes that you can go back and check out and i often recommend you know once you've gone through the names you recognize uh, dig into some of the names that you don't because they're often the most fascinating stories thank you for listening to the podcast you can uh Um, share it around rate it do all those sort of things that's very helpful Uh, and uh, I'll talk to you again next week with Josh Thomas I'm back I'm back at the end of this intro because I realised after all of that I forgot to actually plug Kathy's uh, (laughs) Kathy's tour dates so this Friday the 1st of November at the York uh, York Theatre at the Seymour Centre in Sydney uh, you can go and see Kathy uh, Kathy's show Girls Night Out and then on Tuesday the 5th of November Tuesday the 5th of November uh, at the Ath- the Athenaeum in Melbourne beautiful beautiful theatre you can go and see uh, the show there so there you go uh, I'm, I'm so bad at doing intros alright enjoy this episode with Kathy Hello and welcome to Velocity with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the podcast starts. Uh, I say this as much for my guests as anybody else. I ask you who you are. So who are you? Oh, I am the mouth from the south. My name is Kathy Lett. I'm an author, um, deranged mum of two, investigative satirist and feminist. Oh, good, 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 good opening answer. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, can we work, can we work backwards because... Is feminist something that you would have always said? I mean, it's obviously been a theme through your work, Mm -hmm. you know, strong female characters exploring what it means to be a girl through to a woman. Through to a deranged menopausal mother, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) is the F word something that has always been part of that description or has it been something that, you know, you've added more publicly as this third wave of feminism has has come back through? Well, 
I grew up in the Shire, mm. which we call the Insular Peninsula yeah. in Sydney, you know, Cronulla. Yeah, exactly. It's and eight we... o'clock. We'll get you home before they lock it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You've got to have a passport to visit yeah. me, blah, blah, blah. But we didn't know anything about feminism. I mean, Jermaine Greer was rhyming slang for beer. Mm. So the boys would say, it's your turn to get the germs, you know. Yeah. So, and we girls were second-class citizens. I mean, surfy girls were decorative and demure, just mm. draped over the arm of some hot to trot surfy dude. And, you know, you've seen the film, Puberty Balloons. You've already seen the series. We just had to sort of lie on the sand and fetch the Chico roll and massage the male ego. Um, but once I started to get some objectivity on that life, because, you know, that was from 13 to 15, and started to realise that, hey, I am more than just a life support system to a pair of breasts, and started to think for myself... Um, then I started to be aware that there was a movement called feminism and I embraced it pretty damn quickly. Uh, but I really wrote Puberty Blues with a girlfriend for our other surfy girlfriends so they could understand that there was more to life than just that very limited um, beach existence. It, it feels to me like that, that seems to, and please, uh, I love to be wrong and be corrected if I am wrong, but it feels to me that the way that you have told those stories has always been with that sense of, I'm not going to lecture you about this. What I'm going to do is create a piece of art that reflects the message that I'm trying to put out there. And I'm going to hide what I'm trying to say, <laughs> you know, amongst this kind of grander narrative or whether it's yeah. funny or whether it's, you know, is, is that a fair thing yeah, to say? Well, fair enough. I think all Australians, what I love about Australians is we have chronic scepticemia. We're sceptical about everything, but we're not cynical. You know, we, we don't think optimism is an eye disease and, and, <laughs> and we, and we don't have an irony deficiency. Mm. So my whole kind of literary raison d'etre is to disarm with charm. You know, if you can make someone laugh, you're much more likely to slip your, your message in, which is my feminist message. And, you know, you being such a brilliant stand-up, you probably use exactly the same technique. If you can make them laugh, you can actually be so much more effective. So, yeah, I, I never try to lecture. I just try to amuse and sort of entertain and educate at the same time. But, it, I mean, I it, for me, that's always the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine yes, go exactly. down. You know, it's how you open that door where somebody who might not necessarily be open to that idea if it was presented to them in a more plain way. Yeah. You know. some, sometimes women will say to me when I'm on book tour, they'll say that mm. their husband will say, oh, what are you reading a book by that? you know, hairy-legged Harridan for, and and then they'll say, and she'll be laughing reading it yeah. a bit, and you'll go, oh, read me out a bit, read yeah. me out a bit, and then she'll read a bit, and you'll go, that's not funny, and they'll go, read me another bit, and this will go on for a few days, and then suddenly the book disappears yeah. into the toilet with him, because you know how some men think sitting on the toilet's a leisure activity, I don't know what they're doing in there. So, I mean, I find that the biggest compliment, if you can win a, if you can convert um, you know, the, a male chauvinist to, to, to my way of thinking. That's the ultimate victory. So disarm with charm is such a lovely phrase and I, I think it's probably one that I'm going to appropriate. That's uh, but I, 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 it brings me to the, the question we start with here, which is whether you have a philosophy. Now, ah, do you have a, a philosophy yes. to life or to work or to love? Well, I, my biggest philosophy is that women are each other's human wonder bras, uplifting, supportive and making each other look bigger and better. I am a fierce advocate for the sisterhood. Uh -huh. And I think Australian women, having lived in New York and LA and all over Britain, um, I think Australian women are the world's best kept secret. Funny, feisty, fabulous, fiercely loyal. You couldn't meet a more wonderful, witty, warm breed of female than in Australia. I have three sensational sisters and a great mum and all my best girlfriends are here. And, you know, the, what, what's wonderful about um, having a good coven of females, friends, is that 
not only is it funny, but when the chips are down, they are really your human wonder bras. They're so supportive. So, um, and you know, I always think too, it's a hundred years since Emily Pank has tied herself to the railings. We still don't have equal pay. We're still getting concussion hitting our head on the glass ceiling, you know, and we're supposed to clean it while we're up there. We've got a, a pussy grabber for a president. Um, we've got, you know, abortion rights being rolled back in Alabama. Um, we've got Harvey Weinstein type sexual predators in every workplace. And women have a lot to whinge about. We don't whinge. I mean, that's my other motto is, you know, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you get salt in your shampers, which we definitely yeah. don't want. <laughs> but I do think women have a lot to, to, to whinge about, actually. You know, even starting with being the butt of God's biological mm. joke. You think of all the things women go through for when they first get taken hostage by their hormones when you're a teenager and you get the periods once a month and then there's you know, pregnancy where everything swells to sumo wrestler proportions and then there's childbirth where you stretch your vagina the customary, oh, what, five kilometres, you know. <laughs> then there's mastitis, then there's the menopause and then just when everything goes quiet, do you know mm. what happens? You grow a beard. Mm. You could make a macrame hanging basket arrangement what's going on here. So, you know, we do have a lot to whinge about but we do have a good laugh along the way. And it's not just me imagining... Sorry, I'm, I'm motor mouthing because I just had a No, coffee. this is good. Well, also, I mean, yeah, the less I have to do on this podcast, the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I love a guest that I can just ask a couple of questions and I'll just talk for the rest of it. I it's, told you I was the yeah. mouth of the South. But what I was going to say too is that, you know, when you go on a girl's night out, you do have to be hospitalized from hilarity. It is really funny. But I, I don't know if you agree with me. I think there is a difference between male and female humor, just generalizing. My male friends mm. are really funny. But they tend to sort of tell set jokes. Right. Right. Um, I call it the black belt in tongue foo. I mean, they're really, really firing off these one liners all the time. Whereas my female friends, you know, when you're out with the girls, no one ever tells a set joke. They never say, Did you hear the one about mm. the Irish homosexuals, Afghan or whatever? Our humor is very cathartic, very confessional, incredibly candid um, and self deprecating. I mean, you, men would be shocked if they knew how honest women are with each other. Um, and it's hilarious. And yet whenever I go on book tour in the world, I'm publishing about 17 languages. Whenever I go somewhere, some, some male journalist will say to me, oh, no, you, you know, you say you write funny books, but women aren't funny. You cannot believe that people still say that, right? But they do. And I always say, oh, you know, they're just worried what it is women are being funny about. They think we spend the entire time talking about the length of their members, which is not true mm. because we also talk about the width, yep. which after childbirth, <laughs> ha, 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 much more important. Yeah. But also, men, I went and saw, there's a brilliant Australian comedian and uh, performer. Her name is M. Rossiano. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you haven't encountered her, I highly recommend mm, her. I think give me a list. You, I think you would be... She'd be right up your boulevard. Yeah, yeah. She, she's just amazing, a force of nature. Wow. You know, funny, sings, dances, the oh, whole thing. Fantastic. You know, puts on a show. Yes, and excellent. her audience is predominantly, I would say, probably about five percent gay men, ninety percent women. <laughs> you know, five percent hetero men who've <laughs> stumbled into the wrong room, and, and they're uh, ovulating by the end of the show. And yeah. it is incredible. But as I said to all my male friends, I said, "You, if you, if you don't understand your partner." Go and see her show. Right. She's up there telling all the secrets. That's right. If you want to know what women are laughing at, <laughs> yeah. you can actually go and see it. Oh, that's right. I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm doing these two little shows. One on, do you mind if I say when? No, please. I'm, I'm absolutely. Doing, uh, one in Sydney on the 1st of November at the Seymour Centre and one in Melbourne on the 4th at the Athenaeum for the Just Laughs Festival. But it's the same. I always say to men, you know, why wouldn't you want to come and hear mm. Secret Women's Business? 
And we also, we, we welcome men. You know, we mm. women have been saying, we feminists have been saying the same thing for so long and we still don't have equal pay. And it's not going to change until men join us at the barricades, you know. I know we say, it's not as though we're asking for a lot. Equal pay, that'd be nice. Mm. We'd like um, a man to work out that mutual orgasm's not an insurance company. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. We'd like him to sort of do a little light housework, which I always say is in mm. men's interest because it's scientifically proven that no woman ever shot her husband while he's vacuuming. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yes. <laughs> and we'd like him to do the odd sensitive thing with snow peas in the kitchen because the weight of a woman's heart is through her stomach. That's not aiming too high. Every time a man says to me, what do, what do men really want in bed? I want to just say breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> and, a really, and a really good book. That would be great, right? <laughs> uh, so, okay. Well, there's so many things I want to unpack there. Because it's funny being an Australian that, you know, you, you hear this, you know, generic and I see it where people say, you know, the around women and humor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I grew up in an era where, you know, my role models when I started doing stand-up comedy were people like Judith Lucy or Linda Gibson or, yeah. you know, Sue Ann Post or, you know, these amazing female comedians. that Jean Kitson. Jean Wendy Kitson, Harmer. Wendy Harmer. Yeah. I mean, yes, exactly. Gina Riley right? and Jane Turner. Yeah. Yeah, geniuses. Magda. Geniuses. Yeah, and all of them just you know, uniquely Australian acts, you know, absolute genius acts, but yourself in that category as well, you know, taking that humor internationally and being able to translate it, make a reputation mm. for what it meant to have an Australian sense of humor. Mm. So it always surprises me when I hear those things because I'm like, well, you just haven't been paying attention. Yeah. And now these days I could give you a list of 40 names that, you know, of Fantastic. the modern generation who are just dominating Australian comedy. In fact, I would say, you know, of the 10 funniest people in the country right now, eight of them are women, okay. you know, and, yeah. and it's brilliant. Have you seen that acceptance of female voices in comedy change? Is, does it feel like there is a positive, yeah, that it is getting better? It, it is getting better. But I mean, even the other day, there's a program in Britain called Have I Got News For You. Oh, you yes, know that? I do, of course. With Ian Hislop and Paul Merton. And they, they said publicly that they didn't, because they, they have a token female sometimes, mm. but they said, oh, well, it's really hard to get women to come on because there's not enough funny women. And you think, what, what year are we in? And they're still saying things like that. And also I've been on that show and it's really hard when you're the token female because you know the audience is thinking you're just there to tick a box. Mm. So I'd like to have a panel. We're up, we're up shit creek without a panel. We need, to have a, <laughs> we need to have our own panel and have one token man, you know, so you can see what it's like. But that thing, I thought it was interesting what you just said about um, in, the internationality, um, the kind of global appeal of humour. If it's true and if it's honest, it, it, it will resonate anywhere. And when I say talk about women being having to be hospitalised for malarity on a girls' night out, this is actually backed up by um, anthropologists and psychologists. Um, they say that women laugh more often than men in all cultures on the planet especially in all female groups. Really? Yeah. And I can tell you what, we're laughing about the same things. We're laughing about pregnancy and childbirth and men and periods and all that stuff that, that unites us. And we're also laughing at our oppressor because it's still a patriarchal society. I mean, just look at the world. I mean, who's running the world right now? I always think, you know how you, how you have a guest edit of a magazine sometimes? Mm -hmm. I think, can't we just have a guest edit of the globe? We just let women run the world just for a year. Yeah. We can't do a worse job. Yeah. Because we've got, you know, we've got Trump and we've got Putin, we've got Erdogan and mm. Bolsonaro and that guy in North Korea, Kim Jong-un, you know, they're running around the globe comparing sizes of their appendages in, in, the, in the form of missiles. All that macho carry on. I mean, just, just let us have a little turn so let's see what we could come up with. So um, 
but yeah, so. I okay, know. so well, on that then, because that's interesting to me when it comes to, you know, leadership and, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And, you know, the idea that, you know, there's, you know, like, I mean, a man thinks he can do these things because he's seen men of do course, these things, yeah. you know. So how much, how much did you have role models when you started doing what you were doing? Because I think back to that time and it's, it's a little bit before my understanding of, you know, what the cultural scene was. Were there... He's trying to say how old I am. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, just, I, I just guess... turned 60, which I prefer to call sexy, by mm. the way, because I'm now in my prime. But yeah, <laughs> but I in a, in a nice way, I mean that you were a pioneer of, yes, you know, groundbreaking, in, you know, in the way that you... So who were your role models? Who were your peers that were helping you do that? Or what made you think if they weren't there that you could do that? Well, luckily I had good, a good girlfriend. So I had, you know, we were doing it together and I don't think I would have had the courage otherwise. I'm not sure though, because my father, it was a front row forward for the bulldogs, you know, and he, all he wanted was four sons and he got four daughters and, you know, we're all allergic to rugby, but we do verbally scrum and tackle, you know, I can tackle with one liners. I can take a man down if I need to. <laughs> so I think there's a tray in there somewhere. Um, but there, there, you're right. There weren't really role models except my mother worked. And I've got three sisters. So it was a very, um, it was a very, uh, you know, there was a lot of passion and, and sister, sisterhood, literally, in, in, in our household. And my mother was the only mother who worked out of all of my school friends. She was a headmistress. And she's only just told me recently, actually, that when Puberty Blues came out, she got a lot of death threats. Mm. She got anonymous phone calls of people saying, you call yourself a teacher and you've raised a slut like that. I mean, it was a very different time. And that what was groundbreaking about that little book, which punches way above its weight, if you read it now, it's like, it's so slim. It's like a, a bit of, uh, you know, a rye vita with just Vegemite, no butter. It's very astringent. Um, but uh, at the time, there were two copies sold to every household because even Kylie Minogue's told me that she would be reading the book under the bedspread with a torch because it was banned by her parents. But, you know, all the parents were upstairs reading it as well, going, the parents are going, oh my God, is that my children, my daughter? And the kids are going, yay, finally a book about me. <laughs> finally an instruction manual. <laughs> yeah, I know. And what's really, well, hopefully not, what's really, it's a contraceptive, actually, it's a literary contraceptive. <laughs> but what was interesting about when the TV series came out just recently, because when I watch the movie mm. and I watch the TV series, I'm torn between hilarity and then nausea to the point of projectile vomiting, because it's like a home movie. Mm. And the men were so macho. Yeah. I mean, they were disproving the theory of evolution. They were evolving into apes. Mm. It would have looked more natural if they squatted on their haunches and groomed each other's back hair for nits, you know. Um, but when, when I when I watched those, those when the TV series came out, what was fascinating to me, I thought that people watching the demographic would be women, you know, people my age remembering what it was like, or maybe my mother's generation finally working out what we were getting up to. But it was teenagers were the main viewers of that show, because you know nothing. What's changed for them? I mean, a bit of the lingo's changed and the fashions, but it's still peer pressure, you know, drugs, alcohol, teen pregnancy. Um, and, and also when I look at the language we use about women, it hasn't improved that much. I mean, when I was a surfy girl, uh, a guy who was sexually active was, you know, a love god, a stud muffin, a spunk rat, you know, Romeo, Lothario, a woman with the same sexual appetites, a slut, a tart, a tramp, a mole. And that hasn't really changed. Girls still get taken down on, on Twitter and in rape trials they get, you know, d d um, 
they get torn apart because of what they were wearing on the night, etc. And when I talk about it, I do talk about that in my show a little bit, and I say how men still expect women to be so virginal. It's like when the guy says, oh, darling, darling, am I the first man to make love to you? To which the woman replies, of course. I don't know why you men keep asking the same silly question. <laughs> but, yeah, so so there's still a big sexist battle going on. And, and even the, the, the language we use in the workplace mm. hasn't improved either. You know, a man who's good at his job is a leadership material, a go-getter. Uh, a woman with the same um, drive is a ball-breaker, a, a bitch, so it the the sexism is sewn into our psyche. So you, we do have to combat it, you know, uh, as much as we can. Where did the gift for language or the love of language that you clearly have come from? Is that from the headmistress, Mum? Because <laughs> you you speak like you're sitting around the Algonquin Round Table, you know, like well, you are it, just adorable. It, but it, you have a it's way a word of play is foreplay yeah. for females. So I'm getting very aroused right now. But well, you have a gift for it that you can, you know, have the ability to make the point that you're trying to make, but make it in a way that you know your your language dances out of your mouth. And it's oh, but it, sh- that's something that means. It, it, that can't come from an artificially constructed place. It must come from a, a love of putting words together in a way that is pleasing to the ear or pleasing in a rhythmic way. So where did that come from? Well, I think Australians are verbally gifted. It's like we have that Celtic streak, that very funny Celtic comedic tangential take on life. But then it's been a little bit sun bleached, you know. <laughs> so it, look, all those funny expressions that are in our vernacular, like... Um, you know, a beer gut is called a veranda over the toy shop, which I love. You know, if someone's a bit nuts, you say they've got kangaroos in their top paddock. You know, all that kind of playful, mischievous vernacular is just gold dust to me. Um, but I and I only write because it's cheaper than therapy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a given. You know, <laughs> I always wish write the book I wish I'd mm. had when I was when I was going through something. So okay. I was like, uh, you you said like an mm. instruction manual, but they are kind of like how to survive manuals, survival manuals for for younger women. So that's why I've cannibalized everything that's ever, ever happened to me. But I do love words and I do get that from my mother. You know, she, she's incredible. We do, I live in London about um, seven months of the year and the rest of the time here. So when I'm away, we do the the crossword every day by Skype, the Times crossword or the Guardian crossword. And she has, can quote a poem on every clue. She'll be able to quote a biblical thing or a, have a poem. I mean, she's just full of language. And my father was uh, of Irish stock, so he also had a had a flair for you know for uh, colourful um, linguistics. So yeah, and also the other thing to remember, whenever I give talks in schools to young girls, I always say to them, yes, men are physically stronger, but women are more verbally dexterous. Women use on average about four hundred and fifty more words a day in our daily vocabulary. So, um, you know, if some, if a man, if a misogynistic guy is putting you down, you can always give him a, a quick tongue lashing. You know, I call it quiplash. <laughs> and I say to them, never go out the door. I mean, they spend all that time putting their fake eyelashes on and everything. Never go out the door without a couple of one-liners tucked up your trouser leg. Because if someone is being a bully, if you can get other people to laugh at him, he completely loses his power. So, I mean... It's awful to think you have to go out armed like that, but but well, you do. I mean, there there are still a lot of misogynist dinosaurs are still roaming the earth. You know, look at Alan Jones and look how they treated Julia Gillard. Oh God, I was in London when um, I got a call from the BBC saying 
something terrible had happened. Julia Gillard, there's this terrible, terrible thing had happened. And would I come into the studio and talk about it? And I thought, oh, my God, what she's done. At, I thought she had an affair with the intern. I thought at the time the Czechoslovakian prime minister was up on a fraud charge and the Romanian prime minister, I think he was, he was on trial for embezzlement. And I was, you know, I was thinking, what on earth has she done? And I rang them back and said, what's happened? What's happened? They said, Julia Gillard was photographed knitting. And I'm like, what? And they said, yes, it's a big, a big, you know, it's a huge faux pas because it, she seemed to be pandering to the female vote. Do you remember she was photographed yeah. on the front of the Women's Weekly? Yeah, that's right. And I remembered back to when she was first um, became prime minister, she was photographed with an empty fruit bowl yes. behind her. Yes. Now, famously, they did a the, the photo shoot of her apartment, mm-hmm. and one of the things that offended people was that her fruit bowl oh, was, empty. was empty. Meaning she was a barren woman and she wasn't a homemaker. And then I thought, oh, my God, as a woman, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. She got pilloried because she, her, her fruit bowl was empty, and then she got pilloried because she did something that was quite sort of f- feminine and, and traditional. And she is a knitter. Mm. I mean, I only knit my eyebrows. That's the only knitting I do. <laughs> But I thought, it's so hard as a woman. Look what they did to Hillary Clinton, judging her by the size of her, her backside and her pantsuits. And, you so, know, women suffer not yeah. from, not, we suffer from facial prejudice. We get judged on our looks in a way that men don't. I absolutely agree with that. And so uh, the Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton thing is very interesting to me because I would love your perspective on that because I think that, you know, it, I, I can absolutely understand, you know, that desire, you know, here in Australia, you know, you want you know, to see yourself represented. And I think it's so important that, you know, mm. for true equality mm. that you, you know, people need to be, I grew up on a dairy farming, you know, oh, country of Victoria, yeah. you know, 250 people, but I kind of thought that I could, in the back of my mind, I must've thought that I could do what I'm doing because when I turned on the TV, I listened to the radio, I heard people who looked and sounded like me doing those things. Yeah. So it sends a subtle message out mm-hmm. that anything is possible mm-hmm. to you because you sound or look like the people who do those jobs. And I think it is incredibly powerful to see, you know, whether it be Julia Gillard or whether it be Hillary Clinton for that next generation of leaders to be able to go, well, I can be it because they were it. it. Yeah. So w- tell me your impressions of what happened to Hillary. Well, it was, you know, it was, it, it was pure misogyny, mm. I think. It was fascinating that America, which is a very conservative place actually, would rather vote for a, a black man than for a a woman. That that you know, that's basically what it kind of boiled down to. I'm going to a talk. Um, Julia Gillard, who's a friend of mine now, actually, she emailed me today. Said she's doing a talk with Hillary Clinton in London when I get back. The two of them are going to talk about the misogyny wow. and what they've suffered and how they think women future. In the women, um, women who want to go into politics in the future can can equip themselves to deal with it, mm. and that will be absolutely fascinating. So I, I'll have we'll have to do another chat when I get back, and I'll pass it all on. But yeah, she, it was it was barbaric the way that she was um, that they were both treated. I mean, I remember with Julia Gillard, do you remember there was that uh, Liberal Party fundraiser, and they had a mock menu that served um, Gillard chicken, small breasts, big thighs, and a red box. Hello, I mean, I, I, I for once I, I, I'm absolutely speechless that that mis, that level of vicious misogyny um, could be so blatant. So uh, Ida Butrose, who's the uh, now in charge of the ABC, mm-hmm. 
uh, recently there was an editorial, it might have come up while you've been doing the press here, but uh, uh, she uh, wrote an editorial, she was part of an editorial that, around the idea that maybe Australia has lost some of our larrikin spirit mm. and, you know, political correctness has taken over. But uh, I'd love your thoughts on that because it feels like two very distinct things because I think it's... I think it's great that we can hopefully live in a world where, you know, Julia Gillard doesn't have to deal with, you know, red box jokes, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I don't think that is political correctness gone mad. I don't think that means we've lost our larrikin spirit well, to get is, rid it's of... it's not funny. It's not funny. I mean, if it was funny... Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not particularly politically correct. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. make jokes that may raise people's eyebrows all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about that. It's yeah. just that it wasn't funny, funny and it was just vicious and mm. it was... It was yeah, just so pedestrian. And that's I, yeah, and I guess that was the idea that I'd like to explore with you just for mm. a minute, which is that idea of how do you balance, you know, that idea of uh, what I want to say versus what's appropriate to say versus, you know, is this funny or just nasty? Like, wh <laughs> where does, how do you make those judgment calls? Well, how do you make them? I mean, I, I think I ask because I'm hoping that you might tell me. <laughs> well, well, I think you're in a better position than me because I don't really do stand-up. I'm a writer. So I'm just, I'm sitting in my room writing away and I'm, it's make, I'm making myself laugh. Well, here's what I would I'm say, hoping, though. But you've got the audience on I actually think that, that, yeah, but what you're doing is harder for that very reason mm. in that I guess the way that I work it out is that I do it in front of people and yeah. I take their reaction and yeah. it's a night-by-night -night focus group and I shape, <laughs> exactly. shape the way that I, you know, deliver the message or the lie or the routine yeah. to the point where it becomes something that, but it doesn't always start in that place. Whereas when you're a writer, often you're sending it out, you yeah. know, print this. <laughs> I think this is, this is definitely done. Print this, send it out. No one will have a problem with any of this. I think that's much more and difficult. And then you find yourself cast yeah. off into social Siberia. Mm. I mean, all I can do is if I say something at a dinner party or at a party and yeah. people laugh, I think, oh, I must make a mental note and write, write that, that down. down. <laughs> so, but that's what's so great about doing this show. Yes. You know, it's been fascinating for, as a writer to actually stand up on my feet and, and talk to the audience. And first of all, it's it's so flattering because the women who come along, are they're witty and they're warm and they're just so wonderful. And they bring me up little anecdotal doggy bags. They've saved, they'll go, I thought you might be able to use this in one of your books. They tell me something their husband did or right. something that happened when they had a terrible night with a toy boy or whatever. And I mean, that is just so lovely. They bring me up. But the women find it really empowering because... To, it's it's mainly women who come, so it's nurses and teachers and sisters and mothers and daughters and grandmas, you know, and to be sitting there together, all laughing together, often at the expense of various men, <laughs> you know, it just, it just does give them a real kind of lift and, and women need that. So uh, most of us, our self-esteem is so low, it's kind of lower than Kim Kardashian's bikini line. I just read a report from Plan International that said like 89% of young women hate their body and don't like the way they look. I mean, social media has so, uh, it, it's been such a, um, well, in some ways it's liberating because women can get, actually get together and network. But the in incredible, other ways. The, I mean, the incredible access to, uh, you know, obviously in the old days, the gatekeepers, the, you know, the, yeah. there was, you know, you would not hear these voices because the people in charge of letting you hear voices were like, well, you're not the type of woman that I want to hear from. Whereas social media has been amazing for young writers, you know, feminists, you know, people of color to be able to get their message and their voice out there. That's the positive That's side. That's the positive side. <laughs> and the other side is this having to be perfect and having to be liked and everything, which is r really, really depressing. Um, and what, the other terrible thing that young women have to deal with is porn, of course. Mm. I mean, I read a report the other day that said that young men 
even like 18 and 19 year old men are suffering um, from impotence because real life sex mm. is not as, it's too vanilla mm. compared to whatever they've been watching. I don't even want to think about what they've been watching. And I thought, isn't that just beyond tragic? And also the other thing that makes me laugh is that, do you remember um, in the Victorian era, there was a guy called uh, Ruskin and he was a critic. Mm-hmm. And I think it was called Ruskin. And he married uh, a, a young, brilliant woman called Effie Gray. And uh, he, he was, because he was an art critic, he'd only ever seen women like on marble statues with the, the kind of little molded white area mm. between the legs. So he couldn't consummate his, his wedding night because he was so horrified when he discovered this, you know, Amazonian jungle. And the weird thing is, even though we're living in such mm. liberated times, young women tell me that men, are, young men are horrified if they see a woman in the natural state and they, you know, they can't perform. Mm. I think we've all, in some weird way, we've gone back to the censorship era of the Victorian times that, that men, these young guys don't, do not understand women. Well, but it's also like, it's misleading. It's, you know, it's stunt sex, isn't it? Like yeah. pornography. It's like, yes. yeah, it's like essentially saying, I oh, look, you know, what? I'm not going to teach you to drive. We'll just watch the Fast and the Furious <laughs> series. That's you just watch thing. that. And then you've got the gist of how driving works now. Yeah, yeah, come on, jump over a tank. It'll be fine. That's a Brilliant analogy. I love that. Uh, and, you know, and I, I didn't think I would say this in any other context, but I think mm. bring back Bush, you know. Mm. I mean, I like my pubic hair. It's like having a little pet in my pants. <laughs> my, my own pedenda could be awarded national park status. And, and also the other thing about women waxing everything off their bodies because to, to, to please men who watch porn is that that very special scent you have, your pheromones, which is that magical chemical thing that happens between men and women, or wh- whoever you're, you know, whoever you're. Women and to. women, men and men, yeah. whatever the the pheromones, yeah. the, that secret scent is kept on your body in in your in your body hair. Mm. So these women who are waxing everything off to try and make themselves more attractive are actually getting rid of their secret their their secret weapon. So I just think women should just wax lyrical. That's all. You know? I am, uh, you know, you, you present as being. Uh, incredibly uh, confident, you know, like as in like, not in a, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it's, a, in, it, it's, you're a force of nature, you know, and I know that we're, it's just yeah, adorable. It, well, this you're is an so interview. Lovely. I mean, I understand this is an interview and it's part, you know, you come in and you're doing your job in an interview as well, which is to, you know, just be great and to bring great anecdotes and great answers and, but you and ask phrase great them questions. In, in such a good way. And you are charming to me, which gets me on side. It's, you're no, very you're good lovely. at this, I'm but. Not... Believe me, if I didn't like you, I'd be using your testicles as maracas, so don't worry so, about that. But have, do you battle with your confidence when you're not here presenting this, or is this part of who you are in your everyday life? Do you do you bring this level of, you know, confidence about the world and you know, confidence about, you know, what women should be doing with right. their bodies and these sort of things in your everyday life, or is there yep. times where you're struggling you know, through this and then you get to this point where you can present in this way. Well, I'll tell you the good thing, the weirdly, the good thing about growing up in the in the late 70s and the 80s in, in Australia is that the men were so macho that it taught you to, to to stand on your own two stilettos. And it like, for, I'll give you an example. Um, this is long before affirmative action, long before sexual harassment suits, whatever. Every day was a, you, it was a battlefield. And when I went, I, I had a book out like when I was 18 or something. I had a newspaper column in the Herald when I was about the same age. So at about 20 or 21, I think, 
I got asked to go in by a big, oh, we'll not say the name, but I got asked to go for an audition, mm. an audition for, to present on television. Okay. So this was my job interview. There were about five or six men sitting around in a circle and I, I bounce in, you know, about 2021, 20, I think, sit in front of them. And one of them slaps $10 on the table and says, I bet I can make your tits move without touching them. And I just go, oh, okay, whatever. He leans over, mauls my breasts, laughs and says, ha, 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 there's the $10. You won. So because, I, because I've been trained in the surfy world to stick yeah. up for myself, I immediately said, I bet you 20 bucks I can make your balls move without touching them. And I kicked him between the legs. <laughs> right? Now, I got the job. Yeah. But what a hell of a job interview. Today, you'd have a multi-pound mm. lawsuit, million-pound lawsuit. But we just had to learn. You had to strap on a bulletproof bra mm. and just get out there. But in some ways, it's good training because, um, you know, whenever I come across sexism in the world, I, it doesn't intimidate me. I immediately go into into punch mode. <laughs> so, um, and the other good thing I was going to say is that we live in a very ageist society for women. I mean, 85% of women, uh, 85% of people on Australian television over 50 are men. Women my age are invisible and and. We get put out to career pasture, especially in the TV world. And in fact, a lot of women in their TV contracts have to sign a cosmetic surgery contract mm. that they will have Botox and that kind of thing, which is appalling. <laughs> um, but the the best, I think the best thing about getting older is that women come into their true selves. You know, what happens after, I think for women, life is in two acts and the trick is surviving the menopause, the interval. When you get through the interval, a fantastic second act awaits you because what happens chemically your estrogen goes down and your testosterone comes up. So you get a little bit more feisty, a little bit more bolshy, a little bit more selfish, a little bit more like a bloke actually. Mm. And what happens to men is the opposite, of course. So as they get older, their testosterone drops and their estrogen comes up, which is why um, you often find older men crying and being a bit more emotional, which is good. We, you know, we want them to be more emotional. But the two um, peak times for divorce are when the youngest child finishes school and when the husband retires, and it's, the majority of divorces now initiated by women, and it's because they want different things in life. Like the husband, the bloke, thinks, oh, I, I just want to stay at home and nest mm. now, you know. And the woman's like, I've nested. Mm. You know, I've roasted 4,000 4, flocks of sheep. You know, I've, I've, I've baked, you know, schools of salmon. I just want to cut the um, apron strings that are tethering me to the kitchen and go out and conquer the world. And so there's a real divide. And as we live so long now, it's, it's going to become like a big social issue, this late onset divorce where um, we, that men and women want different things. So the big new area of medicine is going to be sort of HRT for men. A lot of men are now in their late 60s or in their 60s and 70s taking testosterone just to get their hormone replacement therapy. Well, the other so, thing is uh, it's also where, you know, income inequality comes into plays such a big part, doesn't it now? Mm. Because, mm -hmm. the, you know, you're finding that women are in these situations, but, you know, because of the way that society has been set up, they don't mm -hmm. have the same savings necessarily. They don't have the same access to income as men have had. And that's why it's so important is mm -hmm. that if you do go your own separate ways, that both can kind of have the financial capacity that's to right. go their own separate ways. Because, you know, you love philosophies. My other philosophy now is adventure before dementia. So I, my, I never turn, I say to women, just never turn down an adventure, you know, just carpe the DM, carp the hell out of DM, you know, carpe DM like there's no tomorrow. I love this because literally the next question I was going to ask you was what 
what is this next grand adventure? Because you feel it feels to me like you have so much left to give the world, and you kind of just are warming up. You know, this feels, but it does feel like that. Do do you feel like that? Because oh gosh, yes. you, you bring that energy in, like. You know, yes. here I am, like, you know, yes. I'm back. I've got all these things to say. I'm doing these shows. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm creative. I'm funny. I'm oh. firing on all cylinders, you know? So what, what, what is it that you have up your sleeve that you really want to do? Well, I'm, I'm finishing a novel now called HRT, Husband Replacement Therapy, <laughs> which women will buy just for the title alone. I'm having a lot of fun writing that. That's coming out next May. And I'm just doing this little solo show. I've done it around Britain and I've done it in Edinburgh Festival and Adelaide and I'm just doing a couple here. But the new thing I'm doing, I've got a new column now in in the Telegraph in Britain, mm. which is um, a big broadsheet paper, where I'm travelling. I'm their investigative satirist travel traveller. Oh. So they just sent me to the Serengeti. I went hot air ballooning over the Serengeti. I'm going snorkeling in a glacier. I'm going to see the great apes in in the Congo. So I am just like have global trot and I'm going to be reporting back. And the whole gist of this column is to, is to encourage other women to get out of their comfort zone. You're still in comfort, you know. Yeah. But to just... Get out of your comfort zone in comfort. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Right. I know. Yeah, get into another comfort zone. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be an expensive holiday, but no. just do new things, try new things, because that's the way you stay young, of course, is, and that's, is to say, just to challenge yourself mentally. So... Um, that's my, that's, that's my new Do you think, oh, you have a, a, obviously an incredibly unique perspective on Australia because you are one of us, but also outside of us, you know, and you have done both, you know, like yeah. you, you have both the insiders and outsiders perspective on our yeah. country. And do you think that, I mean, I think generally, you know, uh, in the media, in entertainment, as people age, you know, it is, it, it has been something. It, it feels like it's different to country to country, and I'd love your opinion on it because Australia always seems to have had less respect for older people, in particularly in entertainment. In the entertainment industry. Sorry, I put my phone on so that I uh, would because uh, I know that you have a hard out, and I'm just trying to uh, make sure I'm on time. But then I uh, it started ringing, which was very unprofessional dealer. of me. Drug dealer, or well, I, it, well, it was my partner, so I guess oh. you know, in some ways, absolutely. Oh, right. he's addicted to love. Uh, now, um, may I? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm not getting the good stuff like I used to. I think it might be cut with some other stuff. Uh, so, uh, You're hilarious. Uh, no, I am. Um, uh, I'm interested in. Do you think that Australia is less respectful of aging? I've always had a bit of a theory that we don't respect age as much and history as much because our own history. If you talk about the non-white Australian history, mm-hmm. is something that we still haven't reconciled with. Yeah. So we, we we like to think of ourselves as being new and fresh rather than you know leaning into the historic nature of who we are. And I mm-hmm. think that has a broader effect that we don't. You don't even see older sports coaches like mm. in in the. Yeah, the English Premier League, you'll see an Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson who's still coaching the team at, you know, 70 years old, mm. whereas in Australia you're out at 45. Mm. And it seems to be a bit like that in the entertainment industry. There doesn't seem to be that same respect for people as they get older. Is that a fair observation or is that, am I barking up the wrong tree? I think that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about it, this idea of Australia being young, so we're always looking, young countries are always looking for young things. I mean, the, the white history of Australia. Mm. Um, but I think we have to also think about the amazing side of Australia. I mean, we started as an op- the world's biggest open prison. 
And my ancestors were on the first and second fleet. You know how we have inverted snobbery here. Mm-hmm. If you can trace yourself back to the, the first or second fleet, you're like Antipodean royalty. So I, I call myself the creme de la creme. You know? um, but what people, because we don't, because the curriculum is always chosen, always been chosen by men, school curriculum, university curriculum, we've forgotten a whole side of Australian history, which is the feminist side. Because when Australia became a, a federation in 1902, um, it was the most famously liberal country in the world. The whole world was looking at us as a beacon of, of um, uh, social justice. Because what happened, women got the vote here in 1902, but they also got the right to stand for parliament, which was extraordinary. Um, and the feminists here, there were two fa- really famous feminists. One was called Viva Goldstein. She was the Germaine Greer of her day. She was so famous. You know, the president, the American president brought her over to, to address him in, in, in the White House. Emily Pankhurst got her to come to London to fire up the British feminists because they didn't get the vote for 20 years after us. And she filled out the Royal Albert Hall. You know, 10,000 people came to hear her talk. Um, and the other one was a woman called Muriel Matters, who was a young South Australian feminist. She was an actress. She went to London. She was the first woman to speak in the British Parliament because at the time... <clears throat> Women went to the parliament. They, they couldn't, you know, there was a gallery where the men could sit, but women had to go up these steep stairs and stand behind a grill and peer through the grill because the thought was if the male politicians saw them, they'd get too aroused and they wouldn't be able to think. So they're peering through the grill and Muriel Matters, being a clever Australian and inventive and mischievous, she, she hid um, a chain under her uh, dress tied around her waist. She chained herself to the grill and then called out through the, th- through the grill down onto the floor, British women deserve the vote. We are being ignored and kept behind this grill, etc. So the police rushed up. They couldn't, they couldn't undo the chain, so they had to take the whole grill off and carry her with the grill down into the floor where she was still calling out. So she was the first woman to speak in British Parliament. And the grill is in the South Australian Parliament. You know, it should be a, 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 a right. Every Australian woman should go there and pay homage to her. And then because she was put in Holloway Jail, of course, as a suffragette, and then when she got out, they then banned women giving out pamphlets on the street. And the king was opening parliament, and so she really wanted to disrupt this. So she hired a hot air balloon and got all these pamphlets posted, and she went up in the hot air balloon and threw these pamphlets down on the parade about giving women the vote. I mean, what a publicity stunt. This was so legendary. Every single paper in the news in the world reported this. And these were these innovative, inspirational, young um, Australian feminists who brought, who brought um, emancipation to the rest of the world. Did you ever learn about that at school? No. no. And so we, we always think that it was the Anzac tradition that put Australia on the map. But actually it wasn't. It was the fact that women got the vote here, you know, and not just the right to vote, the, the right to stand for parliament. And it was a radical, interesting country. And it's sad that we have, we've gone down a different path now. But at the time, you know, the whole world was looking to us to see whether this would work. It's interesting, isn't it, when we, like, it, often conservatives will talk about, you know, the good old days. And yet <laughs> the way that we're representing ourselves in that way is actually not representative of the good old days. Because the good old days were, this. Uh, were what, about us being progressive yeah, worldwide. Were about us trying to, yeah. you know, be disrespectful of, you know, the old way of doing things. Mm. And the other interesting thing when I was researching all of this when I made a little film about it for, for, I forget what I was making it for, but the um, men at the time, a lot of men were really pro-female emancipation, a lot of Australian men, 
you know, they wouldn't have been making jokes about, you know, the the, the Gillard mm. small breast and big thighs and red box. And there's a theory about that. It's because it's called pioneerism or something. It's because when Australia was, was settled by, you know, convict stock, et cetera, the women, the men were off droving and the women had a lot of um, responsibility and the men respected them because they'd seen them coping and, and you know, running things when they were away. So there was more equality then probably than we have now, you know, in society. So it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, there's some standard questions I ask on this podcast and I'm aware, uh, that we're, you know, getting towards the end of your time. I could literally talk to you all day. You're so fascinating. Well, we've but, bonded now. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. We it's have, it's yeah. been good. I'm going to take you out to the bar so I can actually grill you on your crosses because I've been doing, my lips have lost weight, the amount of talking I've done today. Uh, I just think there are so many brilliant ideas in this for people and uh, I I hope that people go out and and see your shows. I'm certainly going to uh, try and come and see one if I'm in the right place at the right time. Uh, I would just love to see it, You'll see it live. You, oh, know? you can give me some stand-up tips because you're oh, the expert. I, I am not giving you any tips and I'm certainly <laughs> not an expert in anything, but I do like to ask people, um, what, what is the moment in your life that has made you most proud? Um, probably when my autistic son was cast in a big BBC TV series and it's the first time they've, they've cast an autistic actor to play an autistic character. And it's done more to take the stigma out of autism than a, a million dry documentaries, you know, because the audience emote with him. And to see him thriving, you know, from such um, difficult beginnings, we, that was probably, I was so far above cloud nine, I had to look down to see it. I could wave to the MERS space station, you know. That was probably, as a, as a you know, a proud mum, that was the moment. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? When we die, well, I this is we... a standard question, by the <laughs> way. Don't 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 think that I've just thrown thrown this in. This, I always like to ask people. You know, it's essentially my. You know, uh, we do the the other fifty minutes so that I can eventually just say, "What do you think happens when we die?" Well, I'm hoping I'm going to the big Algonquin table in the sky <laughs> with all the other with all. Do the you funny have a females. like a belief? Do you is there do you think that there is a some sort of life after death, or do you think this is your, your crack at it? Well, I'm 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 agnostic. Mm. My, my only religion is sun worship. I do worship. I do still lie on the, mm. on the beach in my bikini. But, you know, agnostic's different to atheist. You're keeping, I'm keeping my options open. Yeah. I'm going to pack a, to- a toothbrush and a Dorothy Parker if some, yeah. storybook. If some case. other evidence arises, you're <laughs> yeah. willing to change your position. You're <laughs> not right. going to be stubborn about it. <laughs> but that's what, that is the way I've always lived my life, though. You yeah. just live every day as though it's, it's the most exciting day ever. If you did find yourself at that Al Goldcoin roundtable, oh, yeah. you know, who, would you, who would be your ideal people? You know, you know, let's, let's just say you can start from scratch and you can oh. sit around a table with the most you know, fascinating people and having an eternal conversation as you trade quips and enjoy each other's company and minds. Who's on that table? Well, I'd have all the, um, all the women who have, have given, made me laugh my head off. So I would have Mae West. I would have Dorothy Parker. Mm-hmm. I would have Joan Rivers, Nora Ephron, Irma Bombeck. And I wouldn't get a word in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I like to ask people, um, uh, it's, I call it the time machine question. It's, 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 it's a pretty simple question though, which is that you have, uh, I have a time machine. I don't, by the way, I should point that out for legal reasons, but, uh, <laughs> if I had a time machine, uh, and we, you had the mm. capacity to go back to either a moment in history, but I, I'd prefer a moment in your own life. Oh. 
Oh, and um, you could you could life. change it or you could just observe it, mm. you know, through the lens that you now have, you know, revisit it. Would you take the trip and where would you go to? Mm, that's a really good question. Where do you say you'd go to? Uh, I get to ask the questions on the <laughs> podcast and not answer them. Where would I go back to? Um, oh, I know what I would do. I would definitely go back to the time. Well, the two things. Can I have two? Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely go back to the time I turned down George Clooney for a date. Now, I read about this. True. This is in the, uh, is this the pre-ER or is this while he was oh, on ER? It's the saddest thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I'm happy to tell you the Please story, but you will story. cry. Or the women listening will mm. cry. I was working on a show, after I wrote a book called Girls Night Out, on the basis of that book, I got asked to go to Hollywood to write on a sitcom there. And the show was called The Facts of Life. Facts of Life. And it was right. bigger than MASH. It was mm. massive, that show. And um, it was about four girls they met at school. And then by this time, by, by the time I got to work on the show, they were, in, they were about, about 17, 18. Mm -hmm. And we decided that, as it's called The Facts of Life, we should write one episode where one of the girls fell in love and lost her virginity. Yeah. We had to cast an unknown actor. So we cast this guy called George Clooney, and he asked me out. And I said, no. no. I said, I can remember exactly what I said. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a writer. I don't go out with actors. You put other people's words in your mouth and you never know where they've been. <laughs> Idiot! Idiot! And then years later... I, I mean, he also tells the story in reverse about it being the... In fact, when I had him on the podcast, oh, yeah. he said he wished he could have gone back to that moment. So. You've made my day. But then years later, I'm in London, you know, I'm, I'm married, two kids, I'm covered in vomit, haven't slept for years, you know, what, it's like being a young mom, a young parent. And one of my writer friends was visiting me because all those shows like ER and Seinfeld and Frasier and Friends are all written by about mm -hmm. 10 people locked in a pad, padded windowless room I used to call the gag gulag. And anyway, <laughs> one of my friends is visiting me and, and ER was on in the background. I'm going, oh, look at that Dr. Ross. Isn't he gorgeous? I could swim through a pool of my own drool to get him. And he goes, but that's the guy mm. we cast. That's the guy who asked you out. That's George Clooney. That's and I was funny. just like, ah! <laughs> I lay in a fetal position and cried for two months. And then I thought I might ring you up and go, oh, George, about that date. You know, I had time to think it through. So that also fed into my, my philosophy Not about never turning now. down an adventure. Yeah. You know, never. It could be turn out to be George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I'd go. Um, well, this has been so much fun. I, thank you so much for coming to do this. I know you're squeezing it amongst the, a million interviews that you're doing. So I... I, I, it's a great um, honour for me that you took an, an entire hour out of your schedule to come and have this chat. And I've just, I've laughed. I've enjoyed it so much. I think you are so wonderful. And I hope that people uh, go and see your shows oh, and, uh, you know, consume every single thing that you're going to be doing for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 You're just so 50 years. lovely. You know, uh, you're well, so, and also great questions. Very perspicacious. I feel I've been probed. Yeah. I've been well probed. Well, in yeah, in a in a way that won't come back to haunt me <laughs> later in some sort of lawsuit. I'm hoping. <laughs> Thank you so much. This wouldn't be me too. It'd be me too. <laughs>